Well, welcome to our first segment of this afternoon's program. It's Sunday, March 28, 2021. I'm your host, Kieran Murdoch. Uh, there's been an outbreak of COVID-19 at the prison. Now, there have been conflicting reports about the numbers, but two weeks ago, the prison administration advised that around 30 inmates had tested positive and three prison officers as well. Uh, this was confirmed by the prison administration on March 13th. But strangely, the news of the outbreak actually came from an activist, Jessica Thompson. The acting superintendent of the prison was apparently unable to confirm the positive cases at the time when they were first raised by the activist. The acting superintendent gave assurances that all was being done to respond to the situation. And now Her Majesty's Prison, as we know, is an ancient, run-down facility which is poorly ventilated, overcrowded, and has been the subject of international human rights criticisms for decades. Uh, in such an environment, one could imagine that an outbreak of COVID-19 is very serious, and it is not novel. Prisoners around the world, or prisons rather, around the world, are known hotspots and risk areas for the spread of COVID-19 because of large numbers of people being permanently confined with each other. Barbados, for example, had an outbreak in their prison with as many as 360 people being infected. Prisons in places like Antigua and Barbuda are more of a risk because of how cramped and poorly ventilated they are and the unsanitary conditions at times. Even having running water has been an on and off problem at our prison here in Antigua and Barbuda. Now, while these conditions create a situation which is ripe for an outbreak, we learned later on that there may be crucial management problems making the situation worse. Now, we learned about these management problems when prison officers, by Monday of the week that just passed, uh, fed up with those management issues, gathered outside the prison in protest. Uh, this female officer spoke to Observer Media. Administration staff were the first to come down with COVID and nobody said anything to us and they were still coming to work. The ministry had to send them out. The ministry had to send them out to, to, to of the prison to isolate themselves. And two of them are back here this morning. That was last week, Thursday. So their 14 days have not expired. But they're in the prison. Doing what? None of the officers have been properly tested. We have not been rounded up as a group and vaccinated. We have to be going out and trying to do it on our own. And we are in here locked down. Sometimes 8, 16, 24 hours a day, officers are banging double and triple in here. There's no way for the officer to rest. There's no way for them to, to sleep. There's no way for them to urinate or even do what they have to do. Some of us have to leave and go to ARG to use the toilet because we don't have any proper bathroom facilities within the prison for officers to use. But nobody's saying what we are going through. Prison officers' lives matter too. They say that we are essential, but we are not treated as such. During the curfew, officers are being stopped by the police and saying that they do not acknowledge, not know, that that is prison uniform. We are being disrespected left, right, and center. We are being asked to go and seek a pass that we can be on the road to come to work by the police, the very department that we are part of. So, so who, who answers to this? Who answers to us? We are tired of the broken promises by, the, by the, the, the minister, Mr. Benjamin, and the permanent secretary has failed us miserably. She has failed us. So we are now calling on Mr. Gaston Brown to come and address our situation in here. Seeing as he said he was informed by someone that the inmates are moved, I am telling you now, Mr. Brown, that is not true. So we need you to come down here and correct that situation. We don't want you to take up the phone and make phone calls. We need an on-the-spot site. Not even the Ministry of Health is assisting us in here. Not even the Ministry of Health. We are going along as we go along. 
the prison officers also spoke to former MP Dr. Jackie Quinn, who interviewed them on behalf of the Concerned Citizens Movement. Uh, coming out of both interviews, we've been able to put together a list of issues which officers say are problems at the prison. Uh, number one, staff who have tested positive for COVID-19 have allegedly not at times been speedily removed from the prison. Uh, number two, uh, personal protective equipment is in short supply and officers have been asked to wash and reuse them. Uh, number three, a testing of prison officers has allegedly been irregular or inadequate. Number four, prison officers were not collectively vaccinated, or if there was an initiative to do so, it was not entirely successful. Uh, number five, officers have not been sufficiently issued with passes to be out after curfew. Number six, officers have been working double and triple shifts with few or no facilities to sleep, bathe, or use the toilet inside Her Majesty's prison. Uh, number seven, isolating prisoners who have covid it's near impossible due to the cramped quarters for them to actually properly isolate. Uh, number eight, there have allegedly been instances where medication and supplements from the families of infected prisoners have been rejected, but the same supplies are not available from the prison administration. Uh, number nine, some officers have been staying away from work due to fear for their safety. Uh, number ten, there are allegedly cases of people uh, being remanded to the prison despite the COVID situation and without the persons coming on remand newly, uh, without their COVID status being known. Uh, and 11, there appears, of course, to be a general lack of effective communication between prison officers and administration and policymakers about solving all of these various issues. Uh, now, some of these issues have been addressed reportedly. Infected inmates are reported by the prison administration to have been moved to a defense force base at Crabs for isolation. That was to have happened in the week that just passed. And Minister Stedroy Benjamin has assured that personal protective equipment shortages would be addressed immediately, as well as other concerns. On this segment, we'll be asking our guests how well has the situation and the prison been managed, and what risk does it pose to the persons who work there, the persons imprisoned there, and the rest of the country. Uh, joining our panel for this discussion, we're happy to have Mr. Lionel Michael, former Chief Health Inspector of Antique and Barbuda. Good afternoon. We also have joining us Mr. Carla Knight, Antigan graduate student abroad and current affairs commentator. Good afternoon, Mr. Carla Knight. Good afternoon. Uh, we have joining us as well Mr. Warren Castle, attorney at law. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. And uh, finally, we have Dr. David Hines. He's a political analyst and associate professor of African-American and Caribbean studies at the Arizona State University. Good afternoon to you, Dr. Hines. Good afternoon. Um, Mr. Warren Castle, based on what we have now been told, uh, what's come out from uh, the prison officers, uh, what is your reaction to the management of this situation? I am honestly, I am, I am appalled because the, the law makes sufficient provisions, even in the prison rules, uh, to take care of the concerns of the prison officers uh, in particular. What is most alarming is that the this outbreak had to be leaked so to speak had to be reported by an activist when in fact from the moment they had the first case of covid in the prison the chief medical officer should have been alerted because the rules make um, provision for that make provision for that it says in section um 19 for example that the superintendent shall report to the prison medical officer without delay any illness of any, not only prisoner, also officer. And uh, the, the medical officer has the authority to give orders. And the rules say that the superintendent must cause to be carried out if he effects any order given with reference to the health or cleanliness of the um, prisoner or the prison officer. 
And I, this is just, I mean, why do we cover up these things? It, it is ridiculous. And, and for, for, from since I started in Antigua in, in, in from 2016, I've been hearing about the prison, the prison. And I've said before that Mandela put it um, perfectly when he said that you cannot judge a country until you've been inside of the prisons because you can only judge a country by how it treats not its highest citizen, but how it treats its lowest. And if that's the case, well, if that's the case, I don't know what to say about Antigua. Let me, um, let me bring in Dr. David Hines. Dr. David Hines, what is your reaction to what we have heard from officers protesting at the prison last week? Well, I too am appalled one year after this pandemic. One would have thought that the least we could do in our small societies, we don't have capacity of the countries, but the least we could do in small societies is to anticipate that in hotspots, potential hotspots like the prison, we should anticipate these kinds of developments and put um, provisions into play. Um, but obviously that has not been done. And as Mr. Castle says, it reflects very badly 60 years after independence in the Caribbean that our prisons and prisoners are still treated as if they are on a slave plantation. And um, it also reflects very badly on the way we have treated our working people. The prison officers are working people. They're in danger on a normal day without a pandemic. And now within a, with a pandemic, it's double jeopardy, triple jeopardy, and our government is missing in action. This is really ridiculous. Antigua is not a big country. It's a small society. And all it takes in a place like a prison is for 20 or 30 prisoners to be infected. And there um, could be a chain reaction in the larger society. This is outrageous, to say the least. Uh, Mr. Carla Knight, news of the outbreak, uh, as Dr. Hines, well, I, no, I think it was uh, Mr. Castle had mentioned, um, news of the outbreak came from an activist, uh, and at the time when it had come from that activist, um, prison administration was not in a position to confirm that information. Uh, what do you make of that? Well, it shows that there are certainly um, tremendous gaps in the communications between uh, the management of our COVID epidemic, or pandemic, rather, and um, that of prison staff and and the prison management. I think that there are clear lacunas, there are clear gaps in, in, in the way that the prison has been managed. Um, and I, I frankly think that um, this is um, part and parcel of the sort of disregard, I think, for human life and human dignity of members of our population who have found themselves to follow the law for whatever reason but are still members of a population, still human beings, and still deserving of basic minimum standards of care. And the fact that they could not immediately confirm this information, they did not have the, the requisite stats available, suggests that there has been some deficits in the way that this, 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 this prison has been managed. And, and you, know, you know, this is something that we should have anticipated because um, based on the conditions of the prison, this is obviously going to be one of the major hotspots for a viral, a viral disease. I mean, I mean, we knew that this was a potential for um, a serious outbreak, and immediately individuals should have acted to ensure the safety 
of both the prison population and the um, uh, and the staff. So this seems quite reactionary, quite late in the making, and it shows that there have been significant and, and obvious deficits that someone should be held responsible for. Uh, Mr. Lionel Michael, um, we have had outbreaks of infectious diseases at the prison before. Uh, how much of a risk is the spread of COVID-19 when you, when you think about the conditions in a prison like Antigua and Barbuda? Well, good afternoon again to, to your um, fellow panelists and the people of Antigua and Barbuda. Uh, Mr. Michael, if I, uh, I apologize for pausing you, but we are getting a, a, a very yes, strange to feedback on your, on your... Yeah, I'm trying to lock off something here, something going on with me. Um, hold on, one second. All right, I think I, I think I have it now. All right. You better? Yes, quite. Okay. Yes. Um, first of all, I'm, I'm, I'm joining with all the panelists and expressing... Our, our discuss and, and outrage over the situation at the prison amid the COVID-19. And so we, I don't want to miss the opportunity to join with other panelists in saying that. <laughs> but clearly... Uh, Mr. Michael, you've, uh, you've gone on mute just there for a, a split second. You've gone on mute. I go on mute. Okay, we can hear yes. you again. Sorry. Um, yes. Um, I'm saying that um, it's, a tr it's a very high risk. It's a high risk. Um, for COVID-19 transmission um, and, 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 and spread, spread and transmission of COVID-19 in a correctional penal facility like Antigua and Barbuda Prison 1735, because it's already a, 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 a high-risk area, given the kind of people that you have in there. You have people in there with uh, their very close proximity, extremely close proximity, close contact. And one thing WHO speak about is the need for protection when people in close contact for a short period of time, um, much less a long period of time. So they're in close contact. Some of them may have underlying medical condition in the prison, and that put them at greater risk if they were to contract COVID-19, and um, they, they, they put them at a greater risk of developing serious disease, or serious complications, and so on. And so, yes, um, while I say outrage and discuss about it, is something that was pending and in a, in, in, in a sense it mirrors the whole COVID-19 cases are treated in the wider society. Well let me ask you Mr. Where Michael, we have, I, I, I wanted to uh, put the question to you whether or not you think this is something we should have been planned for. For instance, um, yes. when we had yes. the infection of the prisoners it was at that point that we were told that facilities were being prepared for their removal and isolation at crabs. Should something like that have been in place from the get-go? Yes, and that is why we have been asking since 2020 a plan for COVID-19 for Antigua and Barbuda, which would include how you deal with prisoners and people in certain co other correctional facilities. You have, the, you, have, you have the home for girls and the home for boys and so on also, where people are, are put. And so yes, there should have been a plan long time in place and the plan should be activated when you have a suspected case or when there's a need to test people at the, at the Her Majesty prison and, and deal with the situation. Because the, the prison has experienced outbreaks of disease before of, a, of what we call what? A close contact situation. They have experienced outbreak of Staphylococcus aureus disease in the prison. And I remember sometime in 2014, 2015, the then the Minister of Health was given a task to improve the conditions at the prison. 
I, I don't know if that's a good decision really for him, but no, that's another story and that's another program. But um, that situation took place at the prison where MRSA, they call it, Metisilin Staphylococcus, Staphylococcus aureus outbreak at the prison. People are working with skin infections at the prison some years ago. And so we know because of the prison situation, the poor sanitation, the poor waste disposal, both human waste, feces and excrete and so on, solid waste, garbage and so on, the poor situation that takes place at the prison predisposes the prison um, um, population to all sorts of infections. Albeit this time, it is a deadly disease called COVID-19. The other disease, although deadly and not as deadly, are closer deadly to COVID-19, but they have, they have had diseases or breaks of diseases in the prison from the past, and they know when um, these things, prison, uh, they should have a plan. They should have, the plan should have been activated and put in place to deal with those type of situations. Well, let me jump to uh, Mr. Warren Castle. Uh, well, um, Mr. Carla Knight, you wanted to jump in? I, I just I just wanted to piggyback off of that and ask a question, and I don't want to preempt you, but I really need to ask a question. Uh, Mr. Michael perhaps might be the best person to answer. Why don't we have a national pandemic plan or a national health emergency plan? Why are we waiting until the outset of a huge epidemic of this nature, a deadly epidemic of this nature, to put in place a plan when we know we have these kind of high-risk populations why isn't there a health, a, a, a national epidemic or national emergency plan already in place that outlines the procedures for this, and particularly for the high-risk areas, like a prison population and other areas? This, to my mind, seems too late. Well, I, I would answer you by saying, Mr. Burnick, if you permit me, that there is the National Influenza Pandemic Plan in Antigua and Barbuda, developed around the time when we had bird flu was one was um in the world and we had h1n1 when we had that was also a pandemic you know in 2009 it was not deadly as 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 covid19 in 20 in 29 in 2019 but it was a pandemic and there's a national influenza um influenza um pandemic plan that who and pago assist countries in do a broad-based um generic plan but as Mr. Knight mentioned, that is the, the other plan that is needed to come out of that plan is a national emergency response plan. And in the Ministry of Health, there is a health disaster coordinator with the responsibility for health disasters. And there is in Antigua and Barbio a national um, this office of disaster management called NODS. And, and so I don't know why they don't see this as a national disaster and me, therefore activate the national disaster plan. Let me bring because it up. Go ahead. I, I want to bring in uh, Mr. Warren Castle. Mr. Warren Castle, I'm going to play a, a clip for you. This is uh, the, the Public Safety Minister, Stedroy Cutie Benjamin, uh, responding to the concerns earlier this week, just around the time that the prisoners, not the prisoners, the prison staff were protesting. The prison officers are expressing their views on what's happening at the moment, and they're quite right so to do. The prison is running quite normally, and their concerns are being addressed as we speak. They're requesting PPIs so that they could take care of themselves, and those have been addressed, they've been informed that some 200 PBIs will be sent to the prison for their use. As far as the prisoners are concerned, who have contracted the disease, they'll be transferred to the compounded crabs beginning today at 1.30. So that problem too uh, will be solved. I want to commend all those officers who have understood their responsibility and have in fact been carrying their duties well. 
Clearly, however, if there are persons who believe that their safety is compromised, then clearly they have a right to demonstrate as they see fit. I note, however, that there are certain persons from with other interests who are using this opportunity to make a political point. That is so very unfortunate. But what I can say, though, is that we are doing everything to address their concerns immediately, and all of their problems will be addressed sooner. Uh, now, Mr. Warren Castle, um, having heard that, I mean, the prison officers uh, have been saying that they feel let down at, at all levels, uh, particularly they say that the minister responsible for the prison um, makes broken promises. Uh, what do you make of his his response there earlier this week? Well, the, it is it is not satisfactory. Uh, first of all, let me join with the other panelists to say that the timing of, of, of any plan is, is, is questionable. From the time we've had COVID and given the nature and the character of this pandemic, they should have already identified isolation places where persons can be quarantined so, and with a plan, with a plan. So it's called the COVID prison outbreak plan, for example. So from the time you've had the first person testing positive for COVID, that person should have been removed. We would have known where that person was to be um, in quarantine, etc. And the the when you when you put together this some total what's happening where prisoners are being denied their, their supplements. Supplements that are antiviral like coconut oil, um what you call it, supplements for example, turmeric supplements and elderberry, which they say the coronavirus cannot attach itself to a body that takes elderberry supplements. How could you deny these things that are being provided for by the family? When in fact you as the institution do not have these things at hand to give the prisoners. It's, it's not making any sense. And therefore, uh, while I commend the, the, the learned minister for taking the step to um, uh, isolate um, prisoners, put them in quarantine, the timing of it is questionable, especially when nothing would have been done had it not been for that activist who brought this to the attention of the general public. And uh, Mr. Oh, sorry, Dr. Dr. David Hines, the response from the minister there, and uh, particularly when we consider the issue that um, the, the, the prison staff say they feel let down at all levels. Uh, they see they, they feel let down by the prison administration. Um, I'm not sure I'm getting somebody's feedback. it's a reflection of where we are politically. The minister seems to be more concerned about those who are making a political point than about rescuing the situation. Now, people have to make a political point about development like this. Government is there to look after the welfare of the people. That is a preeminent um, function of government. Look, it seems it, it reflects where we are ideologically as far as the function of government is concerned. Um, governments boast, and the Antiguan Barbudian government is foremost in this regard. They boast about how many hotels they build, how many how much investment they bring. No. That is part of development. But another part of development is the welfare of your citizens, especially those who are the least among us, because they are less able as individuals to take care of themselves under normal circumstances, but worse at a time of disaster. And I think um, our governments have to reflect on their own function as we move further into the 21st century. Um, uh, uh, we cannot continue like this. 
every time there is a big disaster, whether it's a hurricane, or earthquake, or a pandemic like this, the working people are the most vulnerable. And look, I, I am I am in sympathy with our government. This is a big pandemic. We are vulnerable on even day when there is no pandemic. Our governments are challenged in terms of resources. But the point is that at least the government should, so, should show some compassion. I don't hear any compassion coming there from the minister. He's speaking as a CEO, and he's speaking as though he's on the campaign trail. Lives matter. Poor people's lives matter. And we have to find our voice in Antigua and Barbuda. We have to find our voices in the larger Caribbean because this development shows the unkindness of governments that we elect to be kind to us. Mr. Carlin Knight, um, uh, uh, same sort of issue. Can I add to that? Can I add to that? Sorry, Kieran, can I Sure, go ahead. Sure, Mr. And, Mr. And, 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 and just mention that there was an inquiry that was um, ordered by the learned minister and recommendations came out of that inquiry. And prison officers are saying, listen, the recommendations were basically buried, ignored. And they have concerns about this. And, and what is most alarming is that from since about uh, 2014, human rights organizations have descended upon Antigua regarding the human rights concerns. And, and it climaxed, in my opinion, it climaxed when there was a person who was to be extradited to Antigua, that person did not, they were not going to extradite him unless it was agreed that he would stay elsewhere other than Her Majesty's prison. He's been housed elsewhere in air-conditioned comfort, which is great. What we need to do is to say, well, if it's not good enough, if it's not good enough for him, the prison is not good enough for our local people either. Mm -hmm. And that has been ignored. In fact, there's a written agreement where basically the minister, the attorney general, and all of the officials have agreed that it is not fit for human beings, that prison. Something should be done about it. Mr. Carlin Knight, um, the issue of uh, responsibility. Um, again, the, the prison staff say they feel let down at all levels, the, the permanent secretary, the uh, health ministry, prison administration, the minister himself, um, Mr. Benjamin. And now they say, or at least uh, one of the ladies who spoke said, you know, they're making an appeal to the prime minister to make sure that um, the action, the the situation, sorry, is rectified. Uh, well, whose job is it to solve the problems at the prison, Mr. Knight? Um, I'm so sorry. Could you just repeat the question? I heard the voice. Of I was saying, who's, 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 whose job, where does the responsibility lie in terms of solving the problems at the prison? Is it with the administration, the minister, the prime minister? Where does the responsibility lie? Well, Certainly, it is with the response. I mean, the prison and the administration of the prison falls under um, the purview of the state, falls under the government's responsibility because it is a public institution. So um, you, you cannot um, have a prison um, and then shirk your responsibility and then expect that this is going to be acceptable. Um, these are government employees, they're paid by the state and they have, uh, and they're protected by the Governed, governed every other um, civil servant or um, employees of the state. And indeed, uh, Mr. Castle can, can tell you that there are other international human rights obligations and courts that 
uh, govern the, the 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 prison and the prison And so this these are these are instruments which bind the Indian government, or at least construct positive obligations on the Indian government to act in a certain way to protect life and to, and to safeguard the integrity of these individuals members of your society that you can discard and someone used the analogy earlier of slavery and it's fact, in fact a, a modern day slave situation in that prison because we're not treating people with minimum standards of human dignity um, is required of them i mean when you have a massive outbreak of a disease is affecting people uh the potential for life loss of life and so forth and, separators. and so of course this is the government's responsibility to do something about it. And if there has been a neglect on the part of the Responsibility Administration Act, it means act efficiently, then someone should be held accountable. So who do you think should be held accountable? Should, should, should Minister Benjamin be held accountable? I mean, can you imagine, I, I would ask you, I mean, let's, in this situation, imagine that you're the Prime Minister leading the Cabinet and, you know, you, you wake up one morning and you see yeah. prison officers outside protesting, saying that um, the minister responsible for, for prisons has made them broken promises. Um, in that situation, what, what do you think the Prime Minister should do? All, all ministers serve at the leisure of the minister. It is a safe decision ultimately who serves in what place. And if there are significant failures of duty, then the Prime Minister has to review the performance of his cabinet and review the performance of his ministers and decide whether or not this rises to the, to the level that that minister should be sacked or, or moved or should, they should be reshuffled. Um, and I, I can't speak for the Prime Minister, and I won't intend to speak for the Prime Minister, but certainly there has to be some measure of review process, even a post-mortem or something to decide what went wrong, how it went wrong, and what should be done, therefore, to avoid this kind of behavior from occurring again. Um, uh, uh, Mr. Lionel Michael, let me play a, 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 a clip for you here, and then I'll ask you a question. It's a... Hey, there, John Bini, you could deal with Mr. Knight and Mr. Castle. Just, just make the point. Well, I'll say, let, me, let me just play this. a short clip, 15 seconds, and then we can come right back. We are suffering. The jail is a hot spot. It is a hot spot. And the magistrate won't stop some people here. Up to this week, we had four inmates that came from St. John's Police Station to the courthouse. Yes, from the so the question I um, and you could add uh, the points that you're making uh, in follow-up but the question is really whether or not at this point we should still be allowing persons who are coming newly on remand to enter Her Majesty's prison is it okay if they get tested and it says they're negative what do you think well again in their plan they need to have um, how they're going to approach people people on remand people coming into the prison visitors coming into the prison people coming to visit people how they're going to screen them how they're going to test them when they're going to test them how frequently they're going to test them. The prison, Antigua and Barbie, the prison is a disaster. It's a disaster zone. And, the, because it's, and it's a long time it has been that way. And so we know when COVID up, visited, visited Antigua back in 2019, 2020, we know the prison would have been an area that we likely to have outbreak because of the proximity and close contact and the overcrowding of people in the prison. And therefore, some plans should have been in place in regard to who is responsible and who should be held accountable. I think the Ministry of Health need to make a lot more vociferous noise about this situation in the prison and the chief medical officer, as, in, as, as, as the top health person in the country, need to bring some order, some kind of recommendation to this 
with, 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 with to rectify the situation and to improve the situation in the prison because this has been going on for, for, for years now and, and it, it, it take a downturn, well, as I said, between 2014 20, and 2015 and when they had a massive outbreak of skin, of, of skin rashes and people and staphylococcus in the prison. And that was a, tell, um, a, 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 warning, a warning sign for what is to come. We only now have COVID-19 that is more dangerous, more infectious. The same measures that we practice in the wider community of six feet apart, wear the mask, washing hands, sanitize hands, clean and disinfect, cough in your elbow, and so on, have to be practicing in the prison. How can you practice six feet in the prison on account of what the prison officers and people are saying? People, seven people in a cell. There's no social distancing, and people cannot wear masks all day through the whole prison life. When, but when they're in a close proximity like that, and they cannot social distance, the kind of where the, 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 the mass becomes a significant challenge for them in that environment. And therefore, it's an untenable situation. And I, I while the, the minister, in my view, is late, because this should have been done a long time, the people need to be moved out of there and, and lessen the overcrowding in the, in the present situation and bring some serious public health intervention measure into that prison to control and suppress the virus any further. And to bring more people in would not help. Uh, Dr. David Hines, uh, and then I'll go back to Mr. Castle, but Dr. David Hines, I wanted to ask you, um, it, it generally when there are conversations about uh, a new prison, uh, investing in a new mm -hmm. prison, uh, you actually do get a significant amount of, of public sentiment that is against that. Um, I have noticed over the years that when you do have those conversations uh, on radio, for example, uh, you will hear uh, public sentiment which says, you know, these are prisoners and we shouldn't spend any money making uh, their lives any more comfortable. Uh, and I think that sentiment is something that you can also find in different uh, places in the Caribbean where you do have similar prison conditions that are simply inhumane. How do we get over that hump if, I mean, if, the, if the public isn't willing to be in majority outraged at the ongoing conditions? Uh, well, isn't there absolutely no no force to cause politicians to care? I mean, if the public, if the public, if it's not an issue for the public, uh, why why is it going to be an issue for a politician? Point well taken. Um, but 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 here is where public education comes in, um, because we who are public voices have to. Um, educate the individual um, citizen about the relationship between his or her personal situation and the larger problem of crime and um, prisons in the society. It has to be a persistent conversation, and the conversation has to be framed within a particular context. And we have to use developments like these in order to hammer on the point that our own security um, as normal citizens uh, is compromised um, when we don't um, have proper and humane treatment for prisons. It's a long-term um, uh, 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 problem, and it's a persistent problem. And it's not, it's not, it's not easy, but it is doable. Um, and the government has to take responsibility. 
responsibility for what is going on. I've since I was a boy, I've been hearing of the prison situation in Antigua, and I'm not singling out Antigua because the prison situation in the rest of the Caribbean is um, as deplorable as it is in Antigua. But in 2020, to be having this kind of conversation, I think it's really an indictment of where we are. The, the prime minister cannot blame anybody. I, I'm sure Antigua and Barbuda has a COVID-19 passport. These things have been set up throughout the world, throughout the Caribbean. And such a task force, or whatever it's called, should be on top of the problem on a daily basis. It is clearly ridiculous that an activist had to bring this to the attention of the public. It means that the government, whatever task force they've set in place, they are not doing their jobs as far as poor people and working people are concerned. I'm sure that elites in the society, probably the ones who are going to be most vocal against human rights for prisoners, I am sure they are, their situation is um, being taken care of. Listen to the voice and the voices of those women. They have children at home. They have families. They are at risk. And it really goes to our very conscience as a larger society. Uh, Mr. Warren Castle, we're just about out of time for this segment, so I'll give you the last the last uh, question, and that is, um, how do how do we address a situation where it it really would appear that the public is not significantly outraged, is not a significant political consequence for not dealing with the prison situation? Uh, nobody's going to seemingly lose any votes for not dealing with the prison situation. So, how do we get over this hump, Mr. Warren Castle? If we want to, well, I'm not sure. I don't want to lose any votes. Let me just correct something that my my, my good friend said just now about the um, atrocities in the prison throughout the Caribbean, not entirely throughout the Caribbean, because I can tell you. In Montserrat's prison, we have push buttons, stainless steel, toilets in every cell, a face basin with flowing water 24-7. In answering your question, what we can do, and I've said this before, I said all you need is five persons because already they have agreed that it is not compliant with human rights and they could bring an action for a declaration that what's happening in prison is a violation of human rights. If you get five prisoners to do that, Right? You bring a class action suit on behalf of the entire prison. It can be done. Again, I want to finish by quoting Mandela. Excellent quote. He says, you cannot judge a country until you have been inside of its prison because a prison, a country is not judged by how it treats its highest citizens, but rather by how it treats its lowest. Thank you very much. All right, then we say thank you f uh, to Mr. Warren Castle, attorney at law, that's the last speaker you just heard, uh, to Dr. David Hines, political analyst and associate professor of African-American and Caribbean studies at the Arizona State University, also to Mr. Carla Knight, Antiguan graduate student abroad and current affairs commentator, and finally to Mr. Lionel Michael, former chief health inspector in Antiguan Barbuda. Thanks to all four of you. Thank you very much.